friends and listeners, thanks for joining me today to listen in on another episode of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and my guest today is a woman who I have to tell you was just a joy to get to talk to and to meet virtually. Patricia Taylor is the woman behind the blog, Some Thoughts from Your Black Friend, where she cultivates space to share her thoughts on critical topics around racial justice. Patricia is a passionate advocate and an anti-racism educator who truly wants her heart to break for what breaks the Lord's. In Patricia's own words, she says, I'm nobody's expert, just a black woman living in America. But in my opinion, she is an expert of what it means to be a black woman living in America and someone we all can learn from. In our conversation, she shares her journey and life experiences that led her to create her current blog. We also dive into talking about the current political climate and the church's response. Patricia shares her thoughts on as much as we could squeeze in in an hour's time. I encourage you to pull up a seat and listen in on some thoughts from this amazing black woman. Patricia, welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I am really I'm really honored to have you here because I know you have a lot of demands on your time, busy mom, and especially in the middle of a lot of ongoing anti-racism work that you gave me this hour to talk. So thank you for that. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, we are all busy, right? (laughs) (laughs) I told you, I'm like, so this is eight o'clock my time in the morning, nine years. And I'm like, this is a stretch for me to get up and ready and my kid out the door and (laughs) here facing you. And I even showered. So yeah, me too. We're winning. (laughs) That's right. Yay for us. So (laughs) my listeners know your formal, um, background, bio, all of that, because I told mm-hmm. them in the intro, but can you just introduce us to who you are day-to-day life, mom life, where you live and all of that? Sure, sure. Well, I actually grew up in the Bay Area, California, Fremont, which is not a small city, but a lot of people who aren't from California have never heard of it. So I usually say it's between Oakland and San Jose, which is, you know, correct enough. <laughs> um, but that's where I grew up and I met my husband in California and five years ago, actually now almost six years ago, we moved to Columbus, Georgia. And that was a whole other story, but it was, um, the Lord. <laughs> that was for um, a church plant, right? It was. It and was. we might it was dive into that. Plant. Yeah, we mm-hmm. might dive into that a little bit later, but yes. Yes. And at the time uh, when we moved, we drove across country with an almost three-year-old and a four-month-old. Right. And now those two little ones are eight and six. And then we have added to the family and I also have a two-year-old. And so I am doing virtual learning with the two older girls and my husband's working from home right now. And I also work uh, part-time for Be The Bridge, which I love. Um, That's just been such a gift and I'm the BIPOC educator. And so they have a particular um, focus on the black indigenous people of color who are a part of Be The Bridge. And so we, especially in this year, um, have just seen a heightened need for that arm of the organization to really receive a lot of focus. And so I was brought on to help uh, just give that a lot more attention. And and as we just strategize and try to be a place of healing and a brave space for people uh, to process just all the big things that we've been experiencing this year. 
And then I also uh, am part of the Upside Down podcast and I have my pages that I do for social media. And so, uh, yeah, you know, just mom yeah. life and social Holy media cow. life. Yeah. And- <laughs> yeah, going back to what I said, like you have a full plate. So thank you for this this hour of time because you're super busy. I mean, stop it. I'm a mom of three little ones and that's yeah. like enough, <laughs> enough for me. I don't know how you balance all of that. I have two daughters, but mine are 18 and 11. So... <laughs> I've got the spread and my 11 year old's in school part-time. So I have days Mm -hmm. without her. So yeah, it's a lot. We're all navigating. So I know you have to be off of here to start your virtual homeschooling day. So we'll (laughs) go ahead and just jump in um, to your story. We're going to spend the first part of our interview talking about your story and then what led you to the work you do. And we're going to hear some thoughts from you because your blog is um, some thoughts from your black friend. So I want to hear your thoughts on the political <laughs> climate, Georgia, everything that we're looking at right now. So, All right. Yes. So, Patricia, let's just start with your story, your origin story. If you want to mm-hmm. start with your childhood, wherever you want to start with it that you feel like is, is kind of an important starting place for your life. Sure, sure. Well, my family is actually all originally from Detroit, Michigan, but we moved to California when I was 10 months old uh, just for new and different opportunities and grew up in a suburb, um, like I said, of the Bay Area, California. And I always really loved it. I mean, I love California and, and, you know, there's some things like the traffic and the cost of living that I don't miss, <laughs> but there's a ton about it. Um, in particular, that part of California, because it's not all the same in spite of what some people think, um, that I really do love and miss and appreciate. Um, but growing up, I was, I was always the, the one black girl in all my classes, um, on the softball team and the girl scout troop. And, and I just, that's just the way it was. So I don't know that I necessarily, like I was aware of it. I was aware of it more so in, in particular times when, um, you know, we were in history class and, and then the subject of slavery would come and all the classmates would just look at the one black girl, you know, and it's like, okay, like this feels awkward. Or when it came to my hair, oh goodness, before I had language for what a microaggression was, I experienced a lot of that growing up. Um, but honestly, I had a really like great childhood. Uh, I grew up with one brother and, uh, my parents divorced when we were younger. I guess I was like, preteen, like, you know, 11 or 12 around that age. And then my mom, um, eventually remarried. And so then we gained a stepsister and, and, you know, they always put us first and like, that was so important and so impactful to me, you know, of course, going through a divorce for anyone, any child is hard. Um, but the hardest part was, was the reaction of some of the adults around <laughs> um, because they would they were just surprised that my parents were more than simple to each other and that they really meant it when they said that they were going to put us first and so they would ask like oh well, it seems like they still get along you know why why they even get divorced and I would have adults asking me this as a child I'm like what is this what is wrong with you yeah <laughs> but I I have you know such fond memories of of family and friendship and I have friends that I've made in elementary school that I and, and middle school that I'm still friends with today. And I think that's really special. Um, I don't I don't know if that happens real often for people, but yeah. you know, right before uh, COVID 
shut everything down in March. I mean, honestly, like a week or two before I went on a girl's trip with my best friends since the first grade oh, and then wow. another friend of ours that I've known since kindergarten. And so just, you know, to have that kind of history with people is really special. So for sure. And so growing up in predominantly white spaces, I'm not going to you, you still have held on to those friendships. Do you remember that being a challenging or hard thing for you? I mean, obviously you were noticing the microaggressions. Do you remember like your first real awareness of racism or just something that hit you growing up in those spaces? Yes. I think there was definitely still like an innocence and I was shielded a bit in elementary school, even though, again, I was aware when, when my differences were pointed out and I remember not liking you know, the, the hands in my hair and wondering like why people were so like, just, you know, intent on pointing this particular thing out that was different from them. Um, but I don't think I ever really got it, um, until I was a little older in middle school. I definitely had those experiences kind of come face to face, like, okay, like there's, there's a difference. And some people are really making sure they point it out. I remember going to a softball tournament and my, you know, it was hot. It was a summertime or it was actually spring, but it was hot. And I came back to school after the weekend and my nose was peeling from the sun. And some of the kids were like, Oh, we didn't know that like people like you could get a sun sunburn or have peeling skin. I'm like, people like me, like I have skin, like, (laughs) you know, like it's, it just was, you know, it was, it was weird. And I just knew things didn't feel right. And, and again, even earlier, I knew certain things didn't feel right, but I don't, I just don't think that I had a name for them. Um, but in middle school is the first time that my mom, like that, maybe not the first time, but what, but really the definitive conversation that we had happened in middle school in the set when I was in the seventh grade and she was like, like there is a difference. Like you are the way she said it was. You are a chocolate chip in a sea of vanilla, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, oh, okay. And so, um, and then when I got to high school, I think the interesting part was I still always felt like, hey, my friends are my friends, and and that was true. And we would joke about like being our own little. United Nations because we had, you know, Asians and we had, you know, uh, people from different like Hispanic populations and just were like, everybody's welcome in our little friend group. But when I made the choice to, in my senior year, when I made the choice to go to an HBCU, um, a historically black college university, I noticed that people, some of my white friends started acting really funny about that. And I was like, okay, like, like, I don't know why this would be a problem for you. If I don't go to an HBCU, then I'm continuing on this path that I've always been, which is to be on, in a predominantly white institution. So there's nothing wrong with that. But for some reason, the thought of me going to a college where I would be, you know, gasp in the majority, where there would be lots of yeah. black people, you know, was somehow yeah. something that made me like othered and different. And just a lot of people would tell me, I just don't understand like why you chose there. Like, I don't understand why you're going there. And it was a huge change for many reasons. I went to Tuskegee University in Alabama. And so going from California to Alabama, like that right there is enough of a culture shock of a difference. (laughs) Um, But to be able to, you know, be at HBCU was such a gift. I mean, there are lots of trials for sure, like with any college experience, but I would not have traded it for the world. Um, But when I came home, I remember for that very first time and, you know, we had 
had one of those like high school reunion, you know, let's get together and check in on everyone. And I just had some friends say some really insensitive comments and, you know, uh, Eminem came on the radio and my friend was giving me a ride home. This is a white male friend of mine. And he was like, Oh, you, you still like him? Like, you know, he's white, right? I'm like, oh, yeah. did I did I go to an HBCU and then suddenly come back hating white people? Like, right. I've been, <laughs> like, you know what? I don't... <laughs> yeah, what strikes me with you sharing this is these friends that you had growing up. Like, you thought, like, yeah, we're all just, you know, we're racially diverse and it's okay, and they're accepting mm-hmm. me. They're not racist at all. And then this, and so it just shows me, like, we we think as white people, oh, they're not racist, but there's so many layers of it under here and it's so deep and so that's that's what it took to expose your friends racism Mm -hmm. and work that needed to be done um so that's such an example of that so i interrupted you but that just is striking no yeah no that i mean that was really it (laughs) how did you feel going to a predominantly black college versus all white spaces did you feel like you could be more yourself i'm just curious that mental dynamic that goes on there Yes. Uh, not at first. It, it was, it was just different. Like I, yeah. I never experienced anything like it before. So I was kind of a deer in the headlights. Um, I, I just, I loved it and appreciated it so much just to be able to be like, wow, like it was so affirming. It was so yeah. incredibly affirming to be like, we are phenomenal and we are different and we are here, you know, and we are intelligent and we just across the spectrum can do so many things. And, you know, to be from California, as huge of a state as it is, and there's not one HBCU there, you know, I never, I never yeah. even heard of an HBCUs until there was a tour that came to a local, yeah. you know, high school. And I was like, Hmm, well, you know, let me find out what these are. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but also, you know, I think there's also like culturally, there are some stereotypes. I was from California and I, there were some people who didn't give me the warmest reception because, oh, but you sound like a white girl and, oh, you're from California. So you must be, you must be rich or think that you're better than us. And I'm like, yeah. no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so that was, that was interesting to navigate. But I think once people just got to know me for me, I think mm-hmm. we can all bring in those biases and those stereotypes. I'm, I know that I did too. Like, Oh, okay. Like these Southern people, you know, like, (laughs) like what are, how are they going to be, you know? Um, and, but it was really amazing. It was just wonderful to be able to be in community, um, with other people and feel what it felt like to to be in the majority. Like I had never felt that before. Yeah. And I, one of your quotes that was so powerful, um, you said, unless you are black in America, you have no idea what it's like to be black in America. Mm -hmm. So I think I just can envision you finally going to a school surrounded by people that knew or could relate to your life experience and just how has to, has to give you a sense of just peace and rest to know, like you're not alone in, Mm -hmm. in this journey of what you're experiencing. So as Speaking of journeys, can you share a little bit too about your faith journey growing up? Because I know you are a believer and a Jesus follower. So talk about just your faith. Were you raised in a Christian home? Yes. um, So I was not. I mean, we prayed. We said grace before we ate and we prayed at bedtime and both of my parents were raised in Christian homes, but they, they both had some church hurt for different reasons. And so, except for going with a friend on occasion or with a, you know, great grandparent, (laughs) um, going to church was not a part of our life. And I believed in God. I always believed in God, but I didn't know or understand like Jesus and like who Christ was. And so that actually came, um, 
in college and I, I wanted to do something different. I played softball my entire life. And when I got to college, I wanted to just try something different. And so I joined the choir and every Sunday we would sing for chapel services and we'd be singing about the Lord and these beautiful songs and so many, um, Negro spirituals and, and beautiful hymns and, and just songs about God's glory and majesty. And I was singing and just, I knew that there was something in me that was just waking up to like, okay, like I want more. And, you know, it was hard being away from home and, and, you know, just making new friends and all of that. And I, I just remember when I came home that after that first semester, I questioned if I should return or not. But then I said, you know, I actually, I owe this to myself. Like, this is where I want to get my degree. Like this is, this is where I, I chose. And so I did return. And then a friend of mine who, um, some of your listeners may know as well. He's on social media as Pastor Jay. He's a pastor in um, Chicago, but he we met at Tuskegee, and he's okay. actually the one who who really sat down with me, Jonathan Brooks, and told me about like who Jesus is and what it means to be a follower of Christ. And then January of oh. 2000 <laughs> dating okay. myself now um, okay. is when I gave my life to Christ. And okay. So, yeah. Okay. So you were like 19 around yeah, then. I was, I was 18. You were 18. Mm-hmm. Okay. I only know that. I'm not like, <laughs> I only oh, know no, that because no, <laughs> of your Facebook post that you celebrated your 39th yeah, birthday this weekend. So, my birthday, yeah. yes, so I can do easy math in my, <laughs> in my head. <laughs> so then, then you became a Christ follower and so much of your yes. work reflects that. And your, your words and what you do with all of your time and your journey does. So, mm-hmm. so going on, let's see, where do we want to go from here? So when did you meet your husband? Because I know that he is a white man and mm-hmm. you have a blog post about that, that is so vulnerable and true. And it just kind of opened my eyes to some things of the negativity that you received from that. So do you want to talk just a little bit about that meeting your husband, marrying a white man, how that's the role that's played in your journey? Yes, sure. So when I, I was in a, a couple of serious relationships while I was at Tuskegee, um, but they did not work out. And when I moved back to California, I was at a predominantly black church and my white husband was like the one white guy. Uh, but that was, you know, kind of his life. Like we yeah. grew up very opposites in that way. He grew up in East Palo Alto. And if you're familiar with the area, then, you know, it's predominantly black and um, Latinx population. And he, his family was like the white family in the neighborhood. And so, um, um, you know, we, it wasn't like a, an immediate thing. He was super shy and quiet <laughs> and we just got to know each other over time. Uh, neither of us really thought that it was a huge deal. And especially, you know, being in California, I, I mean, there were, I mean, there were interracial couples around that we've seen people would joke and laugh and be like, Oh, we always knew you'd marry a white guy. And I'm like, okay, I, you know, I could have married whoever, but Which again, that's a <laughs> bit of a microaggression. It's so yeah, like, it on, is. People. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is. Okay. Um, but you know, with him, like he's just, he's my person. And so, yeah. you know, I, it wasn't ever about like, Oh, some people I heard comments from people, black and white who would say, Oh, you did just get tired of, of, yeah. of black men or, Oh, it must be for his money. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, where do you even yeah. say right now? <laughs> so, uh, that was just interesting. And obviously it didn't deter us, but it was just something that we were definitely aware of just, just recognizing that, that there was going to be 
the potential of this additional hurdle um, right. and how people perceived our relationship. But what was most important was, was just how we perceived our own yeah. relationship. Yeah. And you talk about in that blog post, like he was just a God fearing, God loving man. And that's what, mm-hmm. and that's, it's, it's, if we could just get past that as humans and realize the things that really, really matter. So mm-hmm. that was an eye opening blog post, just the things that were, that were yeah. said to you and to him. Yeah. During that time. And, and he never is asked, uh, I think too, there's a concern, which I do think is legitimate because the majority culture is just so influential and, but I, I grateful to my husband because he's never ever like asked me or, or, or like Lee, like led me in a direction of me being any less than fully the black woman that, that I am. And, and that is something that I just, I love him tremendously for, even as I have like realized ways I've internalized, you know, internalized racism and, and, you know, wasn't feeling as confident about who God created me to be, you know, he always like has championed me and was like, no, like I know who I married, you know, I'm not trying to have you be some like watered down, like whitewashed version of yourself. Like, like I know who you are and and so that's just been really special yeah and so now you you and your husband are raising three little girls and that's Mm -hmm. a whole new space to navigate so when you were raising those girls you started your first blog was that with your first child that you decided to start blogging yes okay yes it was Mm -hmm. I I did that for a while um, but I started like right after she was born okay and that first blog was called life of a minister mom Mm -hmm. and you just start sharing things about motherhood and kind of day-to-day stuff not real controversial or anything like that right right? yes exactly (laughs) okay and had you moved to Georgia at that point or were you still in California no, I was still in California. Okay. Mm-hmm. And your husband was a, obviously a minister in California. No, actually I was the, the minister at you our were. church. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> See, that's my pre- preconceived, oh, no. like, Oh, it's the that's husband. Okay. Of course. I would get that a lot. <laughs> Gosh. See, we all have these layers of deconstruction. I just assumed. Okay. Very good. So yeah, he was a deacon at our church and I was, I was a minister. Okay. So, so when you move, we'll go back to your blog and switching back and forth here. But when you moved to Georgia for the church planning, was that for your church or your husband's or both? Uh, that was so my parents had moved out here okay. um, before we did. And we were like, oh, that's great for them, but we're never moving. Yeah. <laughs> and then actually some, and we really, we really were not <laughs> planning to at all. We're like, we're very content with visiting each other. Yeah. And yeah. Lots of trips. But they actually have, um, you know, pastor friends that we had met over the years from visiting, um, okay. who, who stepped out and did a church plant and they invited us to be a part of, of that church plant. And so okay. that's what ultimately got us out, um, to the church, to this area. And, you know, even that in and of itself is a journey <laughs> maybe for another day. Uh, yes. but, but we, um, but that's what ultimately brought us here. Okay. Gotcha. So you're there raising your daughters, working on your blog. And then that's where we're kind of going to be our jumping off point because Mm -hmm. your blog really took a shift from being just kind of a feel good daily mom blog to you journeying into the anti-racism work, like Mm -hmm. using your voice and speaking loudly. Did you have like a passion or feeling a calling for that or thoughts of that before that took a shift or just kind of how, tell me how that shifted because then we're going to read your blog posts or you're going to read your blog posts that really was your jumping off spot to enter this work. Yes. Uh, you know, before we moved was, 
um, the start of Colin Kaepernick kneeling. Yeah. And, or maybe that came after, but before we moved, it was Black Lives Matter. That's what it was. And I started noticing um, once the prominence of the organization became known, some of my friends were just like, oh, what is this? All lives matter. You know, we were all special to God. Like black lives don't matter more than other lives. And I had so much major like wrestling because I'm like, wait a minute. Like, it's so obvious to me what this means. Like, like, do you not see, do you not see this young man who's murdered for wearing a hoodie? Like, do you, do you not, do you not see that? Like, this is what this is about do you not see this police brutality and and these videos of like name after name after name after name who has become a hashtag on social media because they were murdered yeah like how how is this not clear and i remember just being like gobsmacked you know and i didn't really do anything with it at the time but it was it was hard and it was hurtful to see friends even you know so many people have perceptions of like california super liberal and blah 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 it's like okay like not everyone like everyone does not think the same just like every part of the country they're everyone's different and to see some of my friends post these things just being adamantly opposed to black lives matter and it just that was when it was like the first stirring and then during the time that i we had moved to um georgia that's when it continued to just be this wrestling within me and that's when uh, Colin Kaepernick began his kneeling and it was just more of the same more of like feeling like how are so many people missing this yeah, yeah. like I I don't I don't understand you know right, <laughs> like I don't right. I don't get it like how, how people are are just not seeing things from this perspective even if you don't agree with it which is a hard thing because for me it's like you don't agree with my inherent dignity right. you know like you don't agree with the fact that like my life matters or the, that someone would would take a, a a stand or, or kneel, you know, uh, to try to, to bring attention to something that affects people within my community. Um, those things are painful, but I, I felt like during that time, it was October, ooh, 2016, I think, yeah. um, or September, it was September, 2016. Um, there was so much commentary and I just didn't feel like I had a, like, I didn't read or see anything that was was a perspective I could relate to. And then I felt that nudge from the Lord that was like, well, maybe you need to be the one to write it. And I'm like, I don't want to, (laughs) you know, like someone else can, because like you said, like, this is like, it was scary. It was terrifying for me, you know, um, being in a, in a new place, being in the South, uh, being in a, continuing to be in a predominantly white area, um, having lots of more, more, more friends, more acquaintances vocal on social media about like not being okay with Black Lives Matter and Colin Kaepernick and his protests. It just felt very, very, very intimidating. Um, But I just, I did it. Yeah, you did. So (laughs) September 21st, 2016, you wrote the blog post. This is on your, your previous blog. Now, now you have a new one, but this is your mom, you're more of your mom blog. So you just let your thoughts out there. And I felt this was so powerful because when I read it yesterday, I'm like, well, she could have written this last month, but you wrote this four, yeah, yeah, you wrote this four (laughs) years ago. And that's what I want people to see. Like, this is not a new thing Mm -hmm. and we still have not gone very far. If some days I question if we've gone far at all, or if we've backslid. So Mm -hmm. if you don't mind, I don't usually have guests read long, long things, but I would love for you to read 
part or all of that post, whatever you feel led to read. Sure. Um, yeah, I think I'll just start from the top. Okay. <laughs> um, so I wrote this, the post titled Some Thoughts from Your Black Friend, and that's what led to where I am currently today with my, with my page. Terrence Crutcher, another name I wish I didn't know for this reason. Another heart-wrenching video, another dead man, another hashtag. My heart is so heavy. It's heavy, and I want to be an encouragement. I want to be a light. But sometimes, in order to see the light, you have to get past the dark truth. You don't have to agree with my opinion. You don't have to like it. You don't even have to like me. But please, I just ask you to listen. Hear me out, because I have heard you. I have heard you say that in spite of the relevance of his message, hello somebody, <laughs> the method calling Kaepernick and others are choosing to relay it is disrespectful. You view it as a travesty to our nation and to our men and women in uniform. And I've heard you call him awful things in the name of patriotism. I've heard you emphatically yell, all lives matter, all lives matter, and that Black Lives Matter movement isn't effective or bringing about any real change. You say it's only adding fuel to the fire. I've heard you say that we need to get this upset with all the black on black crime. We should be outraged at what we're doing to each other. I've heard you talk about the poor degenerate black community and how we really ought to worry more about ourselves. I've heard you say that they should have listened. All they had to do was comply. I've heard you say that if only they had done what they were told, they wouldn't have received that bullet in their chests, their back, their throat, their head. I've heard you say that I don't know what it's like to be in uniform. You say, I don't know what it's like to put my life on the line every day or be married to someone who does. I've heard you say a lot. Now, let me tell you this. I don't pretend to know what it's like to be in your shoes. So don't pacify, belittle, or ignore me when I try to explain what it's like to be in mine. Unless you are black in America, you have no idea what it's like to be black in America. It doesn't matter that my husband is Caucasian, which is funny because now I would never write that. Um, <laughs> like, it doesn't matter that my husband is white <laughs> and my daughters walk around in their beautiful Disney approved caramel light skin. It doesn't matter that I'm perceived as non-threatening because I talk like a white girl or grew up in a cozy California suburb. It doesn't matter that I've grown accustomed to being the token black girl in the room. When I look in the mirror, any mirror, my brown skin is what I see. My brown skin is what you see. When I climb out of bed every morning, my skin doesn't change, and sadly, neither do some people's views and opinions of those who look like me. You might not be the one dwelling on my complexion, but there are far too many who are. This year, no, this month alone, I've read and seen numerous things that have made my stomach churn. I've had to shut it all down, guard my heart, and shield my eyes. I've had to fall on my knees in prayer when I see the comments about lynching our current president or how these black punks deserve everything that's coming to them. I have to contain my outrage when my husband tells me about his former coworker who, while watching the NFL draft, referred to the young African-American male on the TV screen as another thug who's about to get rich. I've had to get over the shock, even though why am I even shocked <laughs> when I hear about the KKK delivering their paraphernalia on doorsteps in a neighboring state on MLK Day. I have to be wise in my outrage when I talk to people who still don't think racism is real. Maybe it's not real in your world, but, I, but do I really have to outline the number of times I've been called or referred to as the N-word for you to understand? 
When my brother who served in the Marine Corps walks out of his door each day, nobody knows of the sacrifices he's made for our country or who he is to my family and I. Nobody knows what he means to my little girls, and it makes me sick knowing all the times our mother has had to worry that his appearance alone may put him in the category of a bad dude. She still worries, and the same goes for my father, my uncle, nephews, cousins, and friends whose skin is the reflection of mine. This is my reality. So I went on to list other names of people yeah. who um, have tragically become hashtags and did not come home and um, just uh, trying to explain to my my daughters that it's not as simple to just say, like, the police are for are here to protect us. and. And so, yeah. Yeah, and I'll put a link to that, even though that is mm -hmm. on your old blog. I will put a link to that yeah, because there's, there's more to it. And I think it's it's just so powerful. I mean, if you hadn't talked about the lynching with our current president, you could wonder, because obviously that's referring to Obama, not, mm -hmm. <laughs> not to um, <laughs> the current president. Um, and I just, how does that make you feel reading that and knowing still here we are four years ago, four years later? It's it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, and at the same time, it fuels me because I wrote that post and it really just picked up traction and it was like republished at Huffington at the time. And and it was really well received, which was huge for me just because I had tons of fear. They're like, oh, my gosh, like now I'm going to be like on the outside and, you know, right, right. <laughs> um, I'm going to be abandoned because I've talked about this controversial thing. And like, here I am with a whole page dedicated to it. But <laughs> but even still, after that, there I didn't I just went right back to like my mommy, my mommy blogger things. Oh, you did. Because okay. I just I wasn't really ready to dive into that completely. And then I had like an incident that occurred with someone who I went to church with who um, this is after Charlottesville happened. Okay. And I had some friends, some white friends checked in with me. And that meant a lot. That meant that was really tremendous to just know that for those white friends who were wanting to be allies, wanting to come alongside, like they understood the significance of, of that and how, how harmful that was, that display of racism was. Um, but so this was a couple of years later when this happened, but there was someone that I went to church with that I was just an acquaintance with. We weren't close or anything, but uh, that, that person went on Facebook and, and had this, this whole message about like, Oh, I just wish we all stop whining about race already and whining about racism. And, you know, and basically framed it in a way that there were, everything was more important, you know, like we have, like, we have to take care of our veterans and we have to talk about, you know, sex trafficking. We have to talk about this and we have to talk about abortion. We have to talk about these things. And I, and I messaged this person and I said, you know, I just want you to know that as your your sister in Christ. And, and as a black woman, who's your sister in Christ, uh, I can relate to everything that you listed it, as, as what you declare is more important. Um, I've had an abortion. I know what that's like. I have a brother who served in the Marine Corps. Um, I, you know, I have, you know, close, close connections with everything that she deemed as more important. And, I, and just because you don't know what it's like to experience racism does not mean that it's not important. And when people are crying out to be heard, it doesn't mean that we're whining about it. And so I did write one more post that was definitely inspired by that, just about empathy. And, um, and again, that's something else that could have been written yesterday, <laughs> you know, because it's still like, 
like I, I I'm at this point now where I mean that that was just so hard. It's still hard for me, yeah. but I've just I've just grown, you know, and I, I just thank God for the growth. Um, just put so much emphasis on how people would perceive me and maybe even being comfortable with, with being that like acceptable black girl, yeah. that black woman that I just didn't know. Like if I really pivoted in the way that I felt deep down, the Lord was calling me to like that could change. That could potentially change everything. And so it really took like two, three years, like for me to step out and step into this space where I'm like, Okay, I'm gonna just say this. This is my calling. <laughs> you know, like this is uh, yeah. this is my calling. Okay, I'm gonna do this. All right, okay, I'm going to do this. And I still like I started it. I started my page over a year ago, a year ago, April, but I still like barely did anything with it. And then this year, 2020 in January, I wrote a post on MLK day. That was like, I think it was something like five things I would want my white friends to know on MLK day. And I just realized I was still doing my dabbling with my other page too. And I just said, I can't do this anymore. Like this is not what fills me up anymore. I need to give all my time and energy and focus into my passion and my calling, which is, his anti-racism journey and this education and this work that I'm doing. And so when I decided to finally like give it my all, uh, a month later is when just like everything, like a couple, within a couple months, like, you know, going into my one year anniversary of, of my Patricia A. Taylor page, some thoughts from your black friend, I was just kind of down on myself and like, ah, uh, okay. Like I haven't really done much with it and you know, it's going to be different. And then, in May, you know, George Floyd yeah. and, and, every, yeah. and all of a sudden, like, I just, it was just like this wave of, of like people who were following, you know, all these anti-racism mm-hmm. educators and, and people were speaking out about social justice and racial justice. And, and so I caught like the wave of, of a lot of that and, and had new followers. And then I'm like, wait, 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 like what happened? I feel like I've been shot out of a cannon. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not ready for this. But you are, this is <laughs> the I time. <laughs> yes. I mean, that gives me goosebumps <laughs> listening to that because it's like, God just prepared you and had you just at the right time when he wanted you to use your voice and your calling for, for him and for this journey. Um, and that article or the blog that you wrote that you read part of, um, you kind of followed up on that in April, 2019, when you talk about it and you said, I stepped into something that day I've yet to be able to shake. And I'm not certain I ever will. I was, it was that day. I knew something had been awakened in me that would not be put to sleep. And that, And it was then that the journey to this point began. So Mm -hmm. here you are on this journey that God set you (laughs) up perfectly for to use your voice and people are listening. And it's just, it's awesome to see like how he prepared you for it. Um, But also here we are where racism is and white supremacy, I feel is it's just running rampant. Like, I don't know again, if it's gotten better or worse, but it's just, we're all so aware. And this latest election and the fact that more white women voted for Donald Trump again, I mean, mm-hmm. that's disheartening. I read something, um, Oh, it said, let me see if I can find that. Oh, only 16% of white Republicans expressed at least some support for the black lives matter movement in September down from 37% in June. Mm-hmm. I was shocked to read that. I'm like, how do you go from 37 to now half more than half? Just like what they just said, never mind. But I'm guessing that's not a shock to you being in this in this work. So tell yeah. me your thoughts. There's a lot to go with there, but I love. I want to hear some thoughts from you 
um, mm-hmm. on the voting for Trump? Like, were you disheartened to hear that more white women voted for him? Were you surprised or maybe not? I was grieved. Yeah. Um, I I really did a lot during the week of the elections for protection, like, and self-care is to not tune into much of anything. And the Wednesday after, even though we knew that the results were not in and there was still going to be some days before that would happen, I I did wake up to the news that it was still close and that there was quite a bit, I mean, millions of people uh, still voted for Trump. And it just grieved me. You know, I I know that there's a real fear that I don't want to negate, but I also don't understand um, with with the unknown, right? Like, well, what happens if we have a new, you know, president? What happens if you know these things that that are deemed scary and these buzzwords that you know are seem more to be used for things people don't like and not are and that aren't actually factual? Like, oh, socialism, ah, you know. Yes. Um, sure. But okay, like people's fear, fears can be legitimate. I'm not going to take away from, from their experience or what they, what they are thinking and how they're processing. Yet in that we have seen and witnessed and felt for ourselves, what the last four years has brought about. Right. So to still choose that just shows the privilege, the utter privilege that so many people are existing within because really has their life changed that drastically has it changed enough for them to want to see that change happen? You know, was it their babies in cages? Was was it their family members being, being killed in the street by police, you know, being kneeled on, um, their necks, you know, was it, was it people who look like them who were being, you know, chanted at and yelled at and called slurs and, um, with burning crosses and and torches, you know, marching through Charlottesville, you know? And so I I was, I was just really grieved. Like, ah, man, like we really, like we're super comfortable with racism, you know, and, and we're more comfortable with racism, uh, than we are letting go of power, which is the crux of white supremacy, (laughs) you know, like we don't want to give up the power. And so, uh, yeah, it was just, it was disheartening more than anything. And, and I have a lot of, of, of white women who follow me on my page who I genuinely do believe like they're, they're with me cause they want to grow. Yeah, like we're yeah. on this journey and yeah. I welcome that. I welcome that. Um, but I did have this frustration where it's like, is what I'm saying even making a difference? You know, like, is it, is it sinking in? Because I had that tension, like so many black people and people of color when all of a sudden, like all the social media was like, black lives matter. We're sorry. We're listening. We're learning. Yeah. yeah. And we're like, okay, but do you mean it? Right. <laughs> like, and like, their Instagram counts just like explode. And <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I remember talking to Letty early in that process, who um, is another black woman that does anti-racism work. And she's just like, yeah, she's phenomenal. <laughs> I love her. And she's just at that time, just so questionable. Like, I don't, I don't think this is going to last, but me being just so naive and like, oh yeah, how can it not? Like all these people are wanting to change. And mm-hmm. then same when I heard the vote, like the results, I'm just like, so disheartened. And like, is, is this just a facade? Like what people aren't listening. But I think what you said, it comes down to white people wanting to do what's best for them, wanting that power still wanting to be selfish, the fear, mm-hmm. all of that. Yes. And it shows how much work there is to do going forward. Mm-hmm. And this, this work is costly. 
you know i mean it's cost personal relationships you know there is it wasn't just people in the interwebs that you know like were with yeah. me when this started there's people i know in real life who were with me when it started who were like hey like i want to learn from you like i i hear you and they they've disappeared like they're they're gone and so and that's hard for anybody but i, I also like i get frustrated when i hear white women in particular just talk about the discomfort of yeah. it and i'm like you know what it's all uncomfortable but yeah. what's worse is dying you yeah. know like what's yeah. worse is yeah is continuing to be in this place where where your comfort reigns supreme over over again my dignity over my right. life you know so right and i'm i'm with you on the like it is it, it costs something and it costs at least for me and i'm sure like you just said losing some friends and family. So I want to talk about that just a little bit. And this is what I talked to my guest last week about who was a white woman. So I'm really curious to hear your thoughts on this. So those personal relationships, what do we do going forward? If you have friends or family, you know, voted for Trump. First of all, do you see them? Do you equate a vote for Trump as being racist? Do you want to answer that? Because <laughs> that's what I'm trying to like sort out. So are all is all my family and friends that voted for him? Are you are they racist? And then how am I supposed to proceed with those relationships? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the very least, complicit. Yes. Yeah, that's good. In the in the very least, um, you know, I think a lot of things have been conflated to this like oh, it's just a partisan thing. You know, like mm-hmm. everyone, everyone just wants you to be a Democrat. You know, everyone right. just you know you're just mad at Republicans. Like I, I've <laughs> no. Right. Right. Trumpism is something yes. else entirely. Yes. Trumpism is dangerous. And I, you know, I would encourage if you can do so safely and feel like that's what needs to happen to have conversations. If you know people in your family who, you know, are still holding on to, to Trump um, and their votes and, and then just lifting him up. But even what's happening right now, like just, the refusal of transferring power in a peaceful way. I mean, it's all complicit. If you're not speaking out about it, like, what are you doing? If you don't want to be put in this cat, like it's so, it's such a fear. Like, don't put me in this category. I don't want to be called racist. Don't call me racist. Okay. Well, what are you saying or doing that is showing that you are not complicit with this racist system? Like it is, it's the, the, the ocean, like it's the water that we all yeah. swim in every single one of us, all of us swim in it. So if, you know, there's, there's like this, well, I just don't want to be put in this category. Well, what are you saying to, to make yourself different? Are you speaking yeah. out and saying, you know, Hey, I've been a Republican my whole life, but I cannot support Donald Trump specifically because of this reason, you know, but I still, you know, believe in these certain things. Okay. Yeah. Like what, like why would that be so hard if that's right. really what you believe? There's no such thing as a Jesus party. There's no party that perfectly aligns with, with Christ and with, you know, Jesus and, and his teachings teachings. Um, but we, if we're really bringing Christ into our, our decision-making when it comes to, to voting as just one example of many, then we need to denounce those things that are abhorrent. And we need to call out those things that are foul and disruptive yeah. and harmful. And racism continues to be the sin. And, and in the church too, I, it gets me really fired up and, and it's so hard because, you know, again, we can list sex trafficking and abortion and, you know, all these other things is like, 
oh and and you know uh homosexuality is like oh all these things like let's name them and call them sin they're all horrible and we have these like very specific things in place that we need to like have discipline for or we have you know uh tenants that cover this and cover that but when it comes to racism it's like oh but if you're talking about that you're being divisive right like you're being divisive now oh well, but what about this person who i'm sitting next to at church who like went on a, a racist rant on facebook is there going to be a discipline is there going to be discipline for that person or they still could be deacon so and so because it's not as important as everything else so what would you being somebody that is involved with the church and that's been a lot of my thoughts like the church is they we've got to step up the church is completely I think complacent in racism, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the white American church is. So what would you like to see of the church? And I'll ask you that, but I also want to mention that the last podcast that you did on the Upside Down podcast, he talked a lot about this and that was such mm-hmm. a great episode that I'll link up. And he talked about now, you know, it's not Trump. Trump is the low lying fruit that we're just yes. picking. <laughs> and I, that really struck me because I thought, yeah, I think that's what I'm doing is just like, oh yeah, it's just Trump and his supporters. But no, it's so deep. And and the church is where I feel like our, our hope is. But they're let it's the church is letting us down too, big church. So what would mm-hmm. you like to see or think should happen with the church? Hmm. Uh, I just, you know, it's funny because I actually pulled that that quote up as you said it. You did? <laughs> okay. Drew Hart was was our guest, and and the question was posed to him about in our current context, like what does it mean to be a faithful follower of Christ yeah. and to be a witness? And he said, um, you can't be a faithful follower of Jesus and not be explicitly anti-racist. And yeah. I agree. You know, I agree with that. Um, there's a lot of pressure that I I know I don't understand as I'm not a pastor, and I'm always very aware of that. Um, but to be able to pick and choose which sins we're going to address and not address, like I, I'm on the receiving end of all of the, the people who are hurting because they go to church or they tune into their services now, however it's happening. And week after week, time after time, year after year, they're not hearing the church address the hurt that they are in. And I think that it's okay to start small. It's okay to say, you know, excuse me, we don't know everything, but we are trying and this is important to us. And we are committed to learning and growing, you know, just start somewhere. I mean, that's why I would just tell anybody just to start somewhere. But a lot of the starting has to happen with, with listening and elevating and amplifying voices of color, black voices and people of color. Um, to to really understand their experience you know to really understand like what i'm telling you is true even if you don't understand it because you've never experienced it and to not kind of brush aside this idea that like racism is just you know social justice is now some plague of the church no like like, are we reading the same Bible? That's something that Tasha Morrison <laughs> says all the time. Like, yes. are we reading the same Bible? Yeah. Like, this, you know, like this is at the heart of, of who Jesus is. Like, this is biblical, you know, just like this is truth. So, and brown Jesus, episode. nonetheless. Right. I mean, and like, brown start, Jesus. Start with yes. that. Start with telling your congregation that Jesus is I would just brown. say start, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wish, I really do wish that there was an antidote. But I think start with telling the truth. Yeah. Start with naming the ways that you've been complicit. You know, uh, you can be afraid. You can do it scared. You can you can be uncomfortable. And, you know, we can do hard things. And, and right. you can just start somewhere. That's and, right. 
and and don't feel like if you are white leadership you don't have to lead everything when it comes to this conversation in fact you should pass the mic yeah you know you should let others you should let others come in and if you don't have others within your congregation then that's a problem too yeah, there's so like there's some very basic things before we, yes. the, the church needs to address before we even dive into the deeper, the deeper mm-hmm. work. So I know we just have a few minutes and we got to get to our children. Um, I'm curious. So you were very disheartened, like I was and many others that week after the election, especially those that are in the anti-racism work. Where now are you at with that? And are you are you hope filled? Are you still like very discouraged? Where where are you at right now, moving forward? Well, I think that there's always got to be hope somewhere. Yeah, you know, I wrote a couple before the election. I wrote a post on weary hope, and and I just hold, I just fight for that because one thing I know is that I I fought hard against this calling on my life. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what are you saying, Lord? Like, let me go back to the mommy blogs. And <laughs> so much easier <laughs> saying. Like, toy reviews, yes. you know? Yes. <laughs> like, please. Uh, but I I really, I had to make a determination for myself that, that I was in it for, for life. Like, I was in it for the long haul. And so knowing that, I knew that there would be things I would want to see come to fruition that might never happen in my lifetime. And that yeah. there was going to be lots of disappointments along the way. Um, but, and, and I mean, there, there is no buts to that. There's going to be disappointments and there have been, and they continue. And also there are people who are messaging saying, I have learned. I did like, I chose something different this year for the first time. I did vote a different way. You know, I am like, you really are teaching me a lot. Like I, Mm -hmm. I'm really, I've talking to my family. I talked to my sister and my mom, you know? And so when those conversations happen, it's, it's definitely those reminders. And I feel like the Lord is so gracious to always like drop in like one of those messages, you know, at that, like just right when I need Mm -hmm. it, you know, and also to remember that even though I, I recognize who my followers are, I am, doing this, not just for my, my white followers. Like I have so many black followers and people of color, um, which I hate that term, but you know, just within the, some thoughts, family community who just want to be able to feel heard and seen. And and I think honestly, more than anything, like that is just what moves me is to, to know that if I can share something vulnerably, if I can share something transparently, and if I can have people learn and also have people say, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for saying this thing that I have been feeling that I have wanted to express. I just didn't have the words, you know, like that means everything to me. Like I really am all about, especially black women, like black women being seen, being valued, just being respected, you know, being known for how wonderful we are, you know, yeah. and being amplified, you know, in that way. And so, um, I think right now I feel it's just, it's, we, we have to keep going, you know, like we have to keep going. Like I have to take breaks. I have to rest. I've never taken more social media breaks, even just for a couple of days here and there than I did in the previous eight years of blogging. But this is a different ball game. You know, like I have right. to, I do have to take care of me and be really strategic about that. Um, you know, so that I can keep going because it, right. it's that important. Right. So what you just said, I'm going to say two points with that of my, what I'm, what I'm thinking. So one, excuse me, your, your blog posts, um, your page and thoughts from your black friend. That is, I do want to 
really stress that that's what sets you apart is because you're not just speaking to all those white women out here. You are like, you're a safe place for black women too. And like you just said, lifting up their voices. And I really feel like that is such a gift that God's given you to speak clearly and loudly and encouraging to to all women. And then two, with the encouragement, I will just say, I mean, I, I thank you for your work and your writing because you were one of the influencers um, among a handful of other women that have been on the show of really shifting my perspective this last year. Uh, I mean, I voted for a Democrat the first time ever in my life. Um, and so I think of me, my husband, the influence we're having on my daughters, and I'm like, there is change. And even though... Yes. Sometimes we think we're not seeing it. I know my own life I am. I know I have women like you do that email you that say like, I voted for a Democrat. So I really am trying now. I'm in a better place than that week of the election, but like, (laughs) (laughs) but like the hope that we have in the Lord and there is change happening and we can't give, Mm -hmm. if we give up, God doesn't give up on us. Mm -hmm. And so we, who are we to give up on people? So I, I'm with you in this and I just want to thank you for your work um, and your heart that you pour into it. That means so much, you know, and it's like a year like this where there's so much emphasis on the election. It's just a good reminder that it doesn't stop there. I mean, you know, there was November 5th and 6th and 7th and 8th and, you know, like like the work continues in different ways. One of my favorite, favorite things I know we're we're running out of time is a post by um, Dr. Bernice King, uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s daughter. And I can't think of it all, but it's a post that has been shared widely, but it's like the work is online. The work is offline. The work is, you know, in the voting, the work is in the the organizing It's just list these things. Like the work is in writing. The work is everywhere. The work is where you are. And so I think that's something important to hold on to. The work is where we are. And, and all I ask, all I would really want is for the work to be done, to start somewhere. That's right. You know, so to be committed to it. That's right. And like you said, it's not over with because we now have a new president and we have a woman of color as the mm-hmm. vice president. That's a huge step. And I love it that our daughters are seeing that. It's huge. But that doesn't mean that we're just like when we had a black president, that doesn't mean that it's right. over because it's exactly it's, it's just beginning again. Um, so Patricia, we got to get going. I know you have little ones to get started with school. So <laughs> tell me all the places that you can be found and we will link them all up in the show notes. Sure. Sure. Well, on Instagram, you can find me at Patricia underscore a underscore Taylor. And that is my account that's linked to my um, Some Thoughts from Your Black Friend uh, page. And I also am on Facebook. You can find me there at Some Thoughts from Your Black Friend by Patricia A. Taylor. I am a co-host for season five with um, Upside Down Podcast. So that's at Upside Down Podcast. And with a phenomenal group of ladies, I'm one of yes. four co-hosts. So uh, please listen and follow along with us there as well. And uh, those are those. And I'm on Twitter, too. Are you? <laughs> okay. Is funny. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I haven't well, really been doing a lot with Twitter, but um, it's kind of been calling my name more back in 2020. Uh, so. All right. <laughs> I've yet to ever enter into the Twitter world. I don't know if I even want to deal with that. Instagram's yeah. enough for me. <laughs> it is. It is enough. <laughs> so we will link all of that up. And once again, I just appreciate so much your time and your thoughts and the work that you do. It's, it's a lot. You. And thank I so hope, and I hope you know me. that. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Go get to those little girls and <laughs> on, on to virtual learning. <laughs> yes, you have a great day. You too, Patricia. <laughs> Thanks for listening in today. As always, all the links mentioned are in the show notes at herstoryspeaks.com. 
The link for the blog post that Patricia read is also listed there. But a reminder, that post was on her old blog, so don't look there to find her. Another blog post I shared on the show notes is where Patricia shares about her abortion. This is something I wish we had more time to touch on in our conversation because it's such an impactful chapter of Patricia's story. But due to time constraints, we just weren't able to include this in our conversation. So I encourage you to read about it on her blog post for an insight to her experience. And finally, for those of you who left reviews on iTunes last week, thank you. I truly appreciate it and the time you give to listen to the voices in this podcast.